Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. So how did you feel when that chicken started talking? Uh, well, I knew it was going to happen, but my first reaction was like, that's a really good puppet. Huh. Yeah, so we watched Return to Oz <laughs> on Disney+. Plus, and if you didn't catch our little teaser episode, Andrew has seen this movie many, many times. I was unsure how much I had seen it, but uh, after watching it, I realized that uh, I've certainly seen some of it because there were echoes of Childhood Nightmares as I watched it. Yeah, um, some, some PTSD. <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, yeah, we watched Return to Oz, so we're going to talk about it. Yes. Uh, so for those unaware, this movie came out in 1985. Did not perform very well. Didn't even make back its budget. Some reasons for that. It sounds like there was a lot of production issues, um, including, I don't know if you read this bit of trivia. I was digging around, Greg, that the director, Walter Murch, who has never directed anything else besides this movie, was fired because he was going too slow. And a bunch of directors, including Spielberg, Lucas, etc., came in and like basically backed him up and told Disney like to rehire him. And they did. Huh. It was weird. Weird bit of trivia. Yeah, but yes, this movie takes place, you know, this movie comes out about 45, 46 years after Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. uh, partially because Disney's rights to Wizard of Oz were expiring soon and they needed to make something with it, not to extend the contract, but just to like make some money off of it. Right, because it was going to enter the public domain in like 1986 or something. Right. So this movie is fucking weird. Yeah, I am not surprised that it was a flop. Um, it seems to be the diametric opposite of the right idea for the Wizard of Oz, to, uh, a Wizard of Oz sequel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So in our teaser, I provided context that I used to, I watched this movie a lot and I had a crystallization, Greg, a little bit of a breakthrough and understanding some things about myself. And because I was a kid who my style of most kids are like this, I guess, but my style of consuming things was like, you know, I'm talking like ages three through seven or something like I pick a movie. I watch that movie every day for six months. Yep. One of those movies was, was the wizard of Oz when I was young. Sure. And then some point, not quite as aggressively, but like this movie and said, uh, Flintstones meet the Jetsons on the same recorded VHS tape. And it came to me that I liked this movie because even at that very young age, I liked that. It was like, Oh, like, New care like the characters I remember, this expansion of a story, building a world. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. No. Like, what is just a genetic thing? Like, how did this happen? This so, is the key that unlocks it. Yeah. So when. Yeah, that's that's you. You're always looking for that expanded universe. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was wow. like, shit, man. <laughs> so if nothing else, I learned that about myself through this project. Yeah, I um, I have to say this was a bold choice. On behalf of Disney, um, the kind of choice they don't make anymore. <laughs> no, no. Um, this was a bold choice. I will say, I think it um, uh, in the process of being a bold choice, it steps on every rake in the front yard. Um, <laughs> so the, sh- the sideshow Bob moment. <laughs> yes, it. Um, but it's kind of the first movie that I can think of that actually started like I wouldn't say it started a trend because it's only kind of a thing now where it's like there's like a sequel or a reboot. And then there's a very vocal, you know, bunch of people saying, 
this is actually much more true to the original. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's what this was. And but now when you see that, like, oh, it's a reboot that's a little bit more true to the original and maybe that means it's a little darker or more grown up or what have you. Um, that's usually when you need to reboot a franchise that's not doing great. So, for example, Judge Dredd, uh, the Carl Urban Judge Dredd movie, which is much closer in tone to the Judge Dredd comics, is a much superior film to the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd. Um and but it's not like the Wizard of Oz, the original. It's not like people were like, "Ugh, they really, you know, MGM really shat the bed with that one back in 39 or whatever. And boy, <laughs> sure would be great if they could finally make a good movie based on the Wizard of Oz. It was like, no, that, that was a classic for a reason. And for this one to be like, all right, well, classic movie, you say. So you're saying that people love the bright colors and the songs and the relatable fun characters and the bright optimistic tone. You, 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 people like that stuff. Oh, if they like that. Wait till they get a load of this. No songs. All the characters are nightmares. Um, it's got a bleak, depressing dust bowl tone. <laughs> um <laughs> It, uh, yeah, what the fuck? Why would you, you take one of the most popular, beloved movie adaptations in history, one that was, like, still, like, the longevity on The Wizard of Oz, because not just you, but, you know, in my family, The Wizard of Oz was, you know, hugely popular. It's still hugely popular as a family movie. It The longevity of the city, it, it, it's, it's about to cross the, you know, the... 70 year mark the 80 year mark on this thing yeah but then these motherfuckers in 85 were like hold my beer <laughs> i know what to do to revive this garbage fire but it's baffling that this movie got made i think it's also important to note that from what I, from what i haven't read the books but my understanding is that while the places and some of the plots and stuff are more in the characters are taken from books two and three out of the wizard of oz series uh they aren't that they aren't this dark like this was a, a choice that like was made for this movie oh yes well but it's it just i i don't understand to not just because because even if like oh they definitely you know for the for the original judy garland movie they eased back on some of the darker elements and they added the music and blah blah blah, blah. like nobody would point to those things and say that was the mistake you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's it's going with a more faithful adaptation doesn't win you points with this. I don't. Um, it's just mind boggling that they would do this, <laughs> that they would just take this one of the most popular beloved films and just go the complete opposite way. I'm not like I'm not going to say that this is a good movie or even that I like this movie, but I like that this movie exists. I well, OK, so I I'm I'm with you. I, I like that we live in a world where this weird experiment happened and that at many points along the lines of the production, various people in charge of things looked at it and said, yep, keep going. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's the scare. That's how the scarecrow is going to look in this movie. Sure. Seems <laughs> seems great. Um. Oh, so you're so you're not keeping any of the original characters. Oh, well, no, Dorothy's in it. OK, great. Um, how about Toto? Oh, no, we're replacing Toto with a talking chicken. Oh, sure, that that's fine. It, 
uh, the scarecrow. Uh, no, he's not in it, but we've got a different scarecrow with a pumpkin for a head. Uh, all right. Okay. The tin man. Nope. Also not in it, but there's a different robot <laughs> who's not the tin man. Oh, you, you know that we own the rights to the real, real wizard of Oz, right? Cause this is seeming like a weird knockoff, like where you're just keeping it just close enough without, but we have this. The Tin Man. You can use the Tin Man. Nope. We want to have TikTok, the wind-up man. Okay, keep doing it. It's just amazing. Yeah, I think that, like, in some ways, because that resembles the... What's that movie company that makes, like, the B versions of popular movies, like Transmorphers and, you know, Snakes oh, on a Oh, I don't... Asylum? Train. It's Asylum. Maybe, yeah. So it's the Asylum yeah, version of the device. <laughs> is what it, you know, it, it just seems like it's, it's so bizarre. It's just bizarre um uh, interesting bit of trivia the only thing that uh disney didn't have rights to were the ruby slippers because they weren't in the books there are silver slippers in the books interesting. so they had to pay mgm a lot of money to use them in this movie interesting which is kind of interesting because they threw out every other aesthetic component of the original wizard of oz like out the window yes completely even even when like things are all happy at the end you know spoiler alert like it looks nothing like what we see in the original. Right. Also, Dorothy is at least a decade plus younger than Judy Garland. I mean, she's not in reality, but like looks a decade younger. Well, than- right. So in this, Dorothy's like 10. Yeah. And the actress was like, for, is it Faruza Balk? Is yes. that how you pronounce her name? Um, She was like 10. Right. And, and Judy Garland was 16 when they made, but she was like a, you know, older looking right. 16. But like 1930, 16 is like modern day 40. <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess. <laughs> uh, she's yeah. She was. I mean, she was also. I mean, she was definitely older than you know this version of Dorothy, but also played it a lot older. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. She she played it like a young adult. Yes. Well, but also more like I don't know. It's just there was there was a there was a style of acting back then where everyone had the same affectations, whether they were five years old or 95 years old. Like, all had the same manner of speech and bearing, and they all just were weird adults. Yeah. But, um, so right off the bat, that's weird. And, it again, there's just so many strange things here. Shall we set the stage, start at the top? Yeah. So, in case of, you know, very brief plot outline, in case you didn't do your homework, listeners, uh, the movie opens... It's about six months or so, pretty pretty soon after the tornado. Yeah. From they, they they do say six months. Six months. Uh, it is. I never actually knew this is when the, when this stuff takes place. It's in eighteen ninety nine because that's about when this stuff was written, turn of the century. Sure. Uh, and you know you sort of once again the the difference of like kind of like charming like say dust bowl, I mean that's nineteen twenties, but we'll just keep using it for ease of conversation. Uh, you know, like Dust Bowl, Midwest, Kansas, like not charming, rustic, like in 1939, but like depressingly oh, poor bleak and as hell. Bleak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their house was ripped up. They're repairing it. The one guy's, you know, her uncle's injured, you know, her, so clearly it's implied that like her aunt's doing all the work. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I need to. I need to dig into the bleakness here. Okay. I thought you probably liked the bleakness because I like well, the bleakness. I really liked almost everything about this movie until the chicken started talking. But um, <laughs> the the first scene you get where it's in the morning, the first scene you get, the shot you get of the farm and 
the you have that you see the how half finished the house is that and that image is chilling because it's it's half finished in a very surreal way like it's it's like he was building the house from right to left yeah (laughs) and like i get it like it gives the visual idea um and it, it like it conveys a lot but it's so surreal and and chilling and um and Uncle Henry, there's this bit about how he is like he's got this broken leg or like um, he had a broken leg as a result of the tornado. And they're implying that it didn't heal right and that he's in constant pain as a result. And that's why he's no good around the farm. Or or actually, I, t- I interpreted it more like because, you know, Dorothy and Aunt Emma, I think, are talking and she was saying, I need your help because, you know, Uncle Jim can't his legs, you know. He's over there and she's like, yeah, his leg's broken. And I'm like, no, of course. And she said something like his leg's been mended for a while. Yeah. So you get the impression that I got the impression that like he's just depressed. Yes. Well, that's where like, I was oh going. Yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and there's another element here that, again, in its kind of places like a weird like it's a sequel technically, but it's also not because the ending of the, of the original film really says it was a dream, right? Because when she wakes up in the real world and she sees the real world versions of all of her friends from Oz, like that's a pretty clear indicator that this was in her head, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie basically does the it was all a dream ending and pretty much confirms it, right? And and it and that's a little grim, but it ends there. And that's your understanding of Wizard of Oz going into this. So then we start with um Dorothy is now plagued by insomnia, a 10-year-old girl, plagued by insomnia and dreams of another world and imaginary friends in this incredibly bleak, like, winter's coming and we only have half a house. (laughs) 1890s world. And they're like, Dorothy, that was all dreams. You've got to, like, get it together. And they're like, we could take her to this doctor, but we don't have any money. Um, And it's probably going to be electroshock. So it's like, this is hopeless. And again, the reality that we're established is that it is in her head, (laughs) right? (laughs) So it's not like we start this out where it's like a, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe scenario where we know that Narnia is real and we can't wait for the kids to get back to Narnia, right? Mm -hmm. This movie opens with us as the audience understanding that Dorothy had a dream about Oz and now she thinks it was real and she's 10. And it's in her head. And now her family is going to spend their last pennies to help her in an 1890s asylum, which is not going to be good. Even the best one was bad. I love I just my, my note here was like uh, late 19th century medicine. Let's zap your brain till you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was. Um, but I kind of liked the first 10 minutes of this movie, which was really more about like, um, this, you know, like really chilling, depressing tale of dealing with mental illness in turn of the century, Kansas. Yeah. Like there's a movie here that's like just that. Yes. Cause I also agree. Like the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes up until she goes to Oz and we'll get there. But like, it's, there's a lot of like kind of interesting cinematography like you said some surreal visual stuff going on Mm -hmm. and like some interesting choices and like the doctor is such a fucking ham yes like 
I don't love the the what head nurse character. Um, I don't love her, but I love her outfit. Yeah, the costumes. I, I wrote this. The the eighteen. I love the eighteen ninety nine sets and costumes. Like it feels a little hokey, but yes. like in the right way. Like what I love about like the asylum is like it feel like on the walls and stuff. Like you see how. They must have took some effort into like, okay, what did electricity look like in 1890? It was brand yeah. new, effectively. I actually looked up at one point because I saw they were using flashlights. And I was like, there couldn't have been flashlights yeah, in 1899. Right, and it's like, I looked up like, nope, flashlights came out in 1899. I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this guy, and then this guy, of course, who's like in electroshop therapy and like, electric, the way of the future is like, of course he'd have some flashlights because he thinks they're cool, right? Like, uh, I just, you know, you could see the, the, the walls are like kind of like shitty and there's cracks in them and there's like the electrical lines running up it and these old switches and it just feels feels good. Yeah. And the and the difference between the kind of lower level of the like asylum where they entertain the, the guests and parents mm-hmm. and then the dreary, dirty upper levels of where the actual patients are kept. Yeah. Like a nice little dichotomy and. Like a movie about two girls in an asylum, like two genuinely troubled girls in an asylum who have a like shared um, delusion uh, about a fantasy world and um, they're trying to escape the asylum. But like it's but the people are genuinely well-meaning and trying to take care of them. But these kids are like convinced that it's all a you know you know nightmare you know fantasy world and like that's just like a i mean that's a grim premise but i want to see that movie um you know it's it's basically the kind of oh they're escaping to their fantasy world but do it from the other side because i feel like the scene where they're running away in the storm and the head nurse is chasing them like they're afraid of the nurse but the way it's shot and the way it's presented is like I feel like I was like, oh, yeah, no, that nurse is like these two 10 year olds are going to get lost in a flood and I'm in charge of them. This is horrible. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, I think that they like <laughs> this is why I'm a little confused. And, and I'll just ask now, like, I'm not really sure why at the end of this movie she was arrested because like it seems like she was genuinely trying to save those girls from that flood. Right. In which this this actually this part of the movie scared me as a kid. And like, I remember this and I was like. Was trying, I was hoping that like I just had misremembered it because it's been a long time since I watched this movie. Because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that other girl just like drowned and died. Yeah, we don't see her again. Yeah, like she dead <laughs> for sure. And that like poor nurse is like in the water trying to save them and like they just like running away from her. And it's like, yeah, these two girls are like not in their sound mind. And this like probably strict, maybe somewhat mean head nurse of this, you know, asylum is like, trying to save them and she can't and like how shitty is that and like that scene is so fucked up yeah but this is the i'm like but i want to i like this is the movie i want um and then the chicken starts to talk and i realize like oh no it's not the movie i want but uh, okay so so you know dorothy gets lost they get here this electroshock place electroshock place they're about to shock her there's a storm happening this other mysterious girl who's kind of weird saves her quote unquote yeah leads her out to die in a river yeah um which seems like the other girl probably dies and dorothy somehow survives and she wakes up quote unquote in oz and this is the point where you're like oh okay well well shit that was fucked up uh well at least she's in oz like things are gonna get happy happy go lucky and joyful now right let me read this is just straight from wikipedia (laughs) quote 
They find the yellow brick road has been demolished. Emerald City is now in ruins, and its citizens, including the Tin Man and Kyrie Lion, have been turned to stone. Yes. <laughs> um, already getting started with with the grimness. Uh, a couple things in this kind of transition as we get into Oz that I didn't love. Um, and again, it's that thing of like it's a sequel, but it's not because we get to Oz, and Dorothy knows all of this stuff about Oz, like the Deadly Desert, and. The lunch pail tree and all these things that we didn't see her learn in the last movie, right? Like there was no period of time in the original where we kind of lose touch with Dorothy and um, during that time she learns about all the weird geography and flora and fauna of Oz, right? It's just kind of like she lands, she has her entire adventure, we basically see all of it, and then she leaves, so I'm like, how does she know this shit? And that's when, again, my brain was working on like, oh, no, this is she is in a fugue state. She is drowning. This is a Jacob's Ladder scenario <laughs> where um, obviously she knows all about Oz because it's all in her head. She is making it up. Her dying neurons are inventing this for her. Um, but then Jesus. she wakes up at the end. So, meh. yeah, I think that I mean, you could you could maybe if you wanted to stretch your imagination, you could say that like, well, they walked a long way in the right. original movie. And maybe they just maybe as they're going, the the crew is filling her out like, oh, yeah, and pass that way. It's a deadly desert. You don't want to go there. You turn to fucking sand. Uh, yeah, I don't we know, didn't put up a fence, but, you know, yeah, or any yeah signs. I was looking at a map of Oz and, and all of Oz is surrounded by a deadly desert, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, so what what's your thoughts on Belina? Because this is the while the puppet in the I thought they did the effects for her, like as a, the switch between real chicken and the animatronic one were like, I thought were pretty good. Mm -hmm. But this character is so fucking annoying. Yes. Like it's just the constant just like just overly making jokes. Yeah. And they're not funny jokes. It's just like. Ugh. And and I know that this is nitpicky and technical, but the ADR sound mixing in this movie is is atrocious yes so when we say adr we we either mean like the the voiceover that's being used for the uh puppet or animated characters so you've got audio that was recorded in the sound booth and then it's mixed back into the you know on set recorded audio um or when a lot of times adr is used in movies if they need to like redo a line after the fact they'll re-record the line in the you know in a recording studio and then mix it back in and sync it up with the with the video and uh when this is done well you don't know what's happening uh and when it's done poorly it's incredibly obvious because all of a sudden um one line just sounds completely different than um than than the rest of the scene uh but it's especially tough when you have these um uh so many like puppet characters um and if it's not mixed right it sounds so grating because like their voices don't echo in the room in a natural way and you notice it i feel like they kind of there's a lot of points in this movie where i feel like they use this in all for all the characters yep like they add a really weird and they like don't mix it well because like i noticed immediately in the movie whenever dorothy's like shouting or yelling mm -hmm. they add a really weird like echo effect yes. on her voice and it's really grating and off-putting there's a lot of that um especially in the scene i noticed it when they were in 
when she was locked in the tower, it's all over that scene. This weird, incredibly artificial sounding echo that it's like, oh, I guess they just had to like redo all the audio for this scene. But um, rather than like use professional equipment, I guess on a dare, they were like, what if I just played it all through a tin can? That'll make it sound like an <laughs> echo. It's just it's it's awful and and there are so many times where it just it sounds like it's so obvious it almost sounds like they're they're going for something like i kept waiting for it to be like for them to realize that like the witch cast like the echo voice spell on them or something i thought like i was supposed to (laughs) that it was supposed to mean something it was so obvious oh i hated it um i think that the biggest like that's the biggest well i'm not gonna say the biggest failure of this movie but like technically like speaking outside of maybe some plot choices and things but like because the effects in this movie are like a lot of them are pretty cool some are pretty bad but like a number of them i'm like that looks cool like in a in like kind of a nostalgic kind of like yeah yeah it was the 80s man like i love all the anything with the gnomes and the gnome king Mm -hmm. i love all those effects like the stop motion like overlaid on the stones with the faces and just like it just looks like old but in a good kind of way yeah, so I read a little bit about that, and it's and it's mostly claymation, and I think it's done by um, I'm missing the name Stan Vinton, I think was the name something like that, um, who was like uh, like the 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 guy when it came to claymation, like he did all like the claymation holiday cartoon, you know, like um, like uh, you know holiday specials, Christmas specials that were big in the '80s and '90s. Um, but what he did, um, for a lot of those scenes with the Gnome King or the various other Gnome characters is they actually shot the real actors acting the scene out. And then he recreated their facial movements and their body movements in claymation, like frame by frame. It's like a pre motion cap kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, it's kind of like rotoscoping, which is where you, you, you shoot something on film. But then um, but then basically you just trace over it um, frame by frame with a, in an animation style. Disney used it a lot in the early in the early days for like more complicated scenes like dance scenes. Um, uh, the Scanner Dark Scanner Darkly movie um, that came out a couple years back was rotoscoped. But it's that same kind of idea, but with claymation instead of hand drawn animation. It's really neat. And I think that's why some of that the. Um, some of the claymation just looks so natural and cool in this movie. Yeah. So they head to the uh, the Emerald City, which is all in ruins. They find all the people turned to stone. And well, then they get a – sorry. Uh, yeah, the Emerald City, which is not Emerald. No longer Emerald. Which yeah. they kind of explain, but it also feels like, oh, we didn't feel like making this thing green. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he stole the Emeralds. Uh-huh. The Gnome King. Um. Then they're attacked by everyone's favorite. You know, those characters from the first movie? No. The Wheelers. Yeah. These guys weren't everybody when everybody talks about like, oh, the scary part. They talk about the Wheelers. I didn't yeah. find these guys that disturbing. They're always the clip that people show online and stuff. Yeah. Which I think is to your point, like, I think people that's why I encourage the viewers to watch it. Cause like people be like, oh, I've seen a couple clips of like the Wheelers and stuff. It's like, yeah, they're weird and kind of like a strange choice. Like the sounds they make and just like that. I will say they're like for a kid, they're probably terrifying. Yes. But. And they're also the first thing in this movie that like 
I think that there is something shocking about this scene because this is for a lot of people. They realize when the movie really takes a turn and they realize, oh, boy, this is this is not what I expected. Um, Yeah, like this, you know, you're like, oh, man, this is so bleak and sad. Like, oh, well, she's going to try and fix it. She'll find her friends and I'll fix it. And it's like, no, here's these fucked up fucking things on wheels with weird masks. Like that first thing's mask is like really creepy. And then they have all this like weird makeup on. Yeah. Like they kind of like our cool design, like must have been a miserable thing to act as part of like your hands and your feet or wheels and your, I don't know, strange. But uh, yeah, but like, but the things they say are so like brutal. Yeah. I, I wish I had the quote, but I said like, I'm going to like, rip you to shreds and like eat you or I don't know they're just like really intense things yes. for like quote unquote a kids movie <laughs> not I'll get you my pre- I'll get you my pretty and your little right. dog too yeah or even like if you're gonna go like fairy tale like I'm gonna I'm gonna like bake you into a pie it's just like I'm gonna rip you to pieces and it's like oh god <laughs> yeah yeah and also there is having people make threats against a 10 year old girl is a lot different than when they're making threats against a like you know teenage actress there's just something very emotionally different about that. Yeah. Uh, so Dorothy gets a nick of time escape using a special key, and she finds by far the best character in this movie. <laughs> TikTok. TikTok. Um. <laughs> I love the design of this character. Yeah. It's like good. The, the actual like costume and mechanics and stuff. Like it's just so funny, but like, and like you said, kind of like a surreal style, but just like it like goofy. But they really doubled down on like. Yeah. They could have really made it so like, oh, you don't really see him walk around like he just kind of shows up because this character model makes no sense to have walk. Well, but so I did find his walking very disturbing, you know, for some reason. No, it's great. It's so nonsensical. But there's something there was just something about the movement that felt very unnatural and um, weird to me. And I found out that the actual way that they make him move is there is a a physical actor inside who is essentially walking around on his hands and has his legs like curled up inside the TikTok body. What? Yep. <laughs> so like when you look at it, that's what you see. like. Watch him walk again and you'll see it. You'll be like, oh, yes, that is a guy walking on his hands. Um, but yeah, I, I made a note um, about... Uh, and I, I will say I really there I do really like the concept of TikTok of like you've got to wind him up and it like but like other like his thinking, his speech and his actions like all run out at various different points. And like mm-hmm. it just seems very Wizard of Oz, this kind of like nonsensical, weird, vaguely sad, but, you know, kind of like logical in a childish way. I really liked it. Um, and then she's reading the plaque on the back and like, uh, it's like TikTok, the, the mechanical man, he does everything but live. And I was like, I, ouch. <laughs> I wrote that down too. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Ouch. Return to Oz. <laughs> I mean, you didn't have to get personal m- movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, does everything but live. Like, wow. Oof. Um, woof. Funny, th- funny thing about TikTok uh is the interesting thing is that he's considered one of the first robots in fiction okay i read online preceded by um edward ellis's uh huge hunt huge hunter the, the steam man of the prairies in 1968 and the word robot didn't exist until the 1920s hmm. so like this is 
you're seeing the you know not in this movie obviously but like in initial writings like this is one of the first ideas of like an autonomous being i guess in this way this mechanical autonomous being that does everything but live (laughs) (laughs) but i just like that he's the army of oz he's he's described as the royal army of oz one robot not like he's a member of the Royal yeah, Army of Oz. It's I, like I, I never quite, I didn't quite as I was watching it pick that up. I thought like, oh, the suggestion that like the vibe I got when they first found him was that oh, he's he's part of the army or he's the last. Like there was an army of robot men and he's just the last one or something like that. But apparently not. Apparently it's just him. Yeah, I mean, I, it could be that's the case. But like the way they talk about it doesn't make it seem like that right. in the movie. But also, I feel like I remember from the first movie, like, there were a lot of soldiery type dudes marching around Oz, weren't there? Well, they're probably more like the National Guard, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, great, great. Those <laughs> uh, are the I, Marines. <laughs> I think that what I like about TikTok is that he's the smart one in the movie, which is kind of unusual for like, like they, you know, they point him out, he's the the Royal Army of Oz mm-hmm. and he's the fighter, right? That's sort of like his role. But he's also like when they're in... And we'll get there like in Moby, Moby's uh, like they're making the escape vessel mm-hmm. and like that's his plan. Like he's like, why not my think thing and I'm my think crank and I'm going to like think our way out of the situation. It's like that's an interesting idea that like not only is he the fighter, he's also the thinker. Yeah. Which I just thought was like an interesting thing. Also, he's like the only one who shows like any amount of like sentiment in the movie as well. So uh, TikTok's a star of this movie really for me. <laughs> And like his his plan at the end where he like fakes running out of stuff. Yeah. It's like he's fucking smart. That dude. was clever. <laughs> yeah. I love TikTok, man. I was so and I love the music they have for him. Huh. It's like this like derpy, like dun 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 dun. Yeah. Like kinda like yeah. it, it's just uh as a kid I really like TikTok and as an adult, still do. Um so then we get to to Mombi in that sequence. Yeah. This was definitely a part of my nightmares. Yeah. You don't like headless witches with multiple heads? Um yeah, no, there. I just feel like I've had nightmares about every element of this entire sequence. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. Oh, no. Sorry I mean, I made you relive your memories. No, it's good to unpack these things. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and when and when she finds the, the head in the cabinet and it starts screaming at her. Yikes. And then all the heads start screaming. The first one is the worst because there's something primal about that. Um, But also, again, this whole thing of like, is this in Dorothy's head or not? Because so the Mombi actress and the head nurse is the same actress Mm -hmm. who also played the evil witch in Willow. I learned. Oh, interesting. Um, But the cabinet where they find the life powder is cabinet 31, which... And Dorothy's room of the asylum was room 31, which the movie takes great pains to point out. Like there's like one very long shot uh, where you're looking over the head nurse's shoulder to Dorothy's room. And they really want you to understand it's room 31. Like they make it it's in the fucking center of the frame. So it's like, what are we doing, movie? Is this real or not? Um, But yeah, that whole sequence was rough for me. Um, I really loved the costume for Mombi. But I yeah, also the weird spikes out the back and all that. Yeah, I thought the costume design was really, really good. Um, but I didn't quite understand. And again, it gets back to the in, inscrutable sound design decisions. But that 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 that, that costume clearly is going to make a lot of a lot of noise when uh-huh. the actress moves. Um, and it's not really something we the audience need or want to hear because it kind of breaks the immersion a little bit just to hear this thing clattering around as she moves. Yeah. But they just left it all in. 
<laughs> they just left all that sound in of it like crunching and crinkling and like but not in any way that is like telling me something about the character or making me you know think or feel anything it just sounds sloppy and bad it's not it's not like the clinking of an armor right like someone's like in full plate and it's like makes it sound impressive when they're walking around and like clink 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 it's just like yeah it just sounds like shit banging together Or, or something like almost sounding like an insect's carapace you know to kind of suggest something sinister about her no it just it's just dumb and i also noticed um this whole sequence, mainly the, the Mombi sequence, gave me serious Zardoz vibes. Have you what ever, vibes? Have you ever seen Zardoz? Zardoz? Zardoz. Z-A-R-D-O-Z. I've never heard of that. Oh, my. Okay. Have you ever seen a picture on the internet of um, Sean Connery in, like, a red Speedo with, like, bullet bandoliers and he's got a big mustache and a ponytail oh yeah yeah that's his entire look in the movie zardoz oh okay which was a bonkers ass sci-fi fantasy movie from the 70s that actually had a lot to do with wizard of oz weirdly that's where zardoz comes from it's like a distant Mm. future and their god is this bastardized you know thing from the wizard of oz but um just something about the the sets and the design and just it's weird and cheap at the same time. Um, you should watch Zardoz. But uh, it like there's a scene, a particular shot where you're kind of looking downward and you see Dorothy walking towards Mombi. I think when they first meet and you just see like the mirrored floor just kind of bending and bubbling under Dorothy's feet. I noticed that too. It's just like, <laughs> it, yeah, like I think that design is like cool, but they just made it. Yeah, like like that whole like chamber of mirrors and like, you know, when she's playing that like mandolin or whatever, and it's like really creepy, but like kind of royal and like, OK, it's, you know, you assume she's like in the old palace or whatever has taken over for herself. And it's like, OK, cool. And but like, yes, yeah, instead of using like actual mirrors, yeah. they made like the stuff that like if you make, you know, they make like mirror duct tape, they just basically covered everything in that. <laughs> yeah. And they um and even in that scene, there's like an over the shoulder shot um a, a mommy kind of sitting in her chair and it um you can just see how like cheap and kind of like high school drama prop uh quality the chair looks and there's a lot of that in this where it's just like couldn't you have found a better shot where it just you weren't highlighting the cheapness of the sets and the props um because again the design of like the mirrored palace and you know when it and it kind of you know when you uh, when you f- they first come in and, and it's princess, they think they're meeting a princess and it's this all, you know, kind of you see this beautiful, shiny mirror palace and it looks very opulent and regal. And then once her true f- self is revealed, you realize that it's this, um, you know, it's more chilling and it's based on her vanity and all that. It's like, that's cool. That's good. You know, that, that's all very good. But it's also very cheap looking and bad. Uh, on the other hand, I thought the effects surrounding like the heads and stuff were pretty good yeah for the time yeah uh, i mean don't it, to think about it because it freaks me out i'm pretty sure as a kid i, I often fast forwarded through this part of the movie because it freaked me the fuck out yes. but yeah there's something about this idea of like she's just going to take your head and use it for herself yeah that's very very nightmarish from it like again a kind of childish like um it, it's weird because like to put a different note on like the scariness of this movie is like, like you said, these things are particularly scary for children. It's not like they made a bunch of things that are like generally scary, 
by accident because they kind of didn't have their audience in mind. Like we say these things are horrifying, but we're not like truly scared by them like in a horror movie. But it's just like these they made a choice to make this movie particularly dark and scary for kids. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah. And that's something I was I was wondering because I remember I was listening back to our little teaser. And one of the questions I had was like, I know this movie's reputation. And I'm kind of puzzled. Is this a like a dark, a grim, dark Wizard of Oz movie that ended up just being marketed towards children? And maybe when you look at it a different way, it's like, oh, no, it's actually pretty fine because or, you know, is it something else? And having watched it, it is definitely some this movie was definitely intended all the way through to be like a kid and family movie. Um it just doesn't work because the choice to replace Toto with a wise cracking chicken, that's not a reshoot, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not like they were like, oh, they made their grim dark thing. And then they're like, ah, crap. How do we like make this more kid friendly? Like, I don't know, dub in some lines for the chicken. Like they didn't do that. <laughs> like this was all planned. So some of these things are just, you know, like the specifics of what the villains are going to do to the the heroes is i think extra chilling for kids like yeah i mean i feel like as a kid whenever something like that would that would be the that would be the nightmare fuel is imagining whatever thing the villain promises to do to the hero is going to be done to me that specific thing um and i feel like that's pretty obvious that that's you shouldn't get that specific with kids it should just be like i'm gonna get you because right you know and it's one thing when things are like a little scarier than you intended. Like example, I think of things like in um, Snow White or Cinderella, like the Disney animated movies. You know, there's some scenes in those that are like kind of scary, right? Like they're dark. The animation style is very dark. There's a lot, you know, like the villains are pretty scary looking. Like if you're a little kid, I can imagine like getting a little frightened by that or it's a very intense scene, right? But those are sort of like, I would say like more like by accident, but also still like within the normal bounds of like, it's just a little intense. Yes. You know, the the evil stepmother dresses the witch and Snow White is not telling the, you know, not telling Snow White, I'm going to draw and quarter you, then drink your blood. And then blah, like, they're not like going into detail about what they're going to do to you. They're just like, I'm going to get you. Right. right? I'm like, going to put you to sleep in a glass coffin, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's just very strange. Um, and even just like, like you said, all like the characters are just like weird. Yes. Some in kind of a scary way, like Jack is kind of scary looking. And I feel like you're the characters on your team on the good guy side shouldn't be scary looking for a kid's movie. No, they should uh, not. I will say that whoever made The Nightmare Before Christmas definitely saw this movie and definitely was like, I like the cut of that guy's jib. You mean Tim Burton? Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Um, Actually, hmm, there's a connection there. Is there? Like the some of the weirdness of this movie. I could see being an influence on Tim Burton, but mm, I feel like Tim Burton was like a like a grown ass dude and already. No, no, I, I'm not saying he was like a kid when he watched this, but like he was definitely a grown ass dude because, you know, he put out movies probably shortly around this time as well. Yeah. But I just feel like there's some connection there. I'm going to think about it. Um. So, yeah. And on the idea of her of her squad, one of the mistakes this movie makes, I think, is they don't you don't get the full squad until you're almost to the third act. Yeah. And. So you don't really get a chance to, like, get the personalities or care about these characters, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where, oh, now she has to save them. You don't really have enough time to really care. But also there is something about the original where each of the characters 
um, you know, the, the, the Scarecrow, Tin Man, Cowardly Lion, they each have their own goal, right? The Scarecrow wants a brain, Tin Man wants a heart, Cowardly Lion wants his courage. They all have their own kind of sub-quest. That's, what, that, that's kind of why they're going along with Dorothy. Um, and each one of those has a nice little children's story moral that goes along with it, that each one of them had these qualities all along, you know, mm-hmm. which is great. Like, perfectly good moral for a kid's story that these, you know, that intelligence and courage and kindness are things that are always inside you. You just have to you just have to find them um, and you, you find them by, you know, by going out and having adventures with your friends. Great. Um, none of the other characters in this have that, you know. They're just some mm-hmm. weirdos that she meets along the way. And she's like, will you help me, like, I don't know, come, like, rescue the scarecrow? And they're like, fine, I got nothing else going on. Um, except <laughs> Jack, who uh, in incredibly disturbing ways keeps calling a 10-year-old girl mom. Yeah. I remember as a kid, I kind of felt that was weird. And now as an adult, I think it's really weird. Yeah. So just to speed up the plot a little bit, they go through this thing. They... they um, they get trapped in Mombi's tower um, where Dorothy finds Jack Pumpkinhead, who um, everyone involved in the decision not to name him Jack O. Lantern uh, deserves to be fired from all writing jobs. No, man. Jack Pumpkinhead. That is. They're trying to make a connection to the horror franchise, you know, that is unacceptable. Um, so she meets him up in like the, the tower and there's some weird story about how he was a scarecrow that mommy didn't like so she brought him to life uh and they get trapped up there and then they they um to escape they build a flying machine out of a couch and a moose head uh um a gump head come on which doesn't look like they had they built a green moose prop it looks like they built a moose prop and then said shit it needs to be green can you spray paint it green definitely what they did um we have to shoot this thing in an hour and i want to be home by five um (laughs) it's uh so and and this completes the squad basically but jack at first he starts out and he, he calls dorothy mom because he's looking for the woman who you know built him okay fine but she's like no i'm not your mom and he's like okay but then like a scene later when she's going to sleep, he looks down at her and whispers, I love you, mom. And I, I was, I can't, I can't do this. This is the scariest part. He did. He did ask her, is it OK if I call you mom anyway? And she said, OK. Yeah. Still fucking creepy. No, a 10 year old cannot consent to that. <laughs> um, It's uh, no, it, that that part was not OK for me. Like if, if if the roles were reversed and it was a, a you know a little boy and they looked down and said I love you daddy like that would not go over well even then none of it none so. of it is good none <laughs> of it is good yeah um uh, so they they escape on this flying contraption yeah right and then the movie's like ah we're gonna introduce some tension the wheelers are gonna follow them and you're like oh cool they're gonna have like have a actual showdown with the wheelers and then the movie's like no never mind they're just not gonna go across the desert we're done with them. <laughs> Once again, in another disturbing scene where one of the wheelers accidentally flies into the uh, deadly desert and like the scene, like the the uh, effects of him turning into sand are pretty cool. Yeah, they are. 
but also terrifying. Yeah. Uh, Deadly deserts. You don't want to fuck with Deadly Desert. Um, so, and I'll also say the Gump is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, like, you say he's part of the squad, but, like, doesn't really contribute anything to the group. But then later on, when they, like, have to rescue him, they're like, oh, no, our best friend, the Gump, that we've known for 20 (laughs) minutes. And he's just kind of like, I I do like the voice actor for the Grump, the the Grump with the Gump, but he just also, in the bleakness continues, just like, he's just talking about, like, the last thing he remembers is being shot, and, like, he doesn't have a body, and he can't, oh, God, it's just so weird. Yeah, there's some definite body horror elements to his story like i guess yeah, like this it. is my life now <laughs> <laughs> but also there's there's something weird and i'm not sure if it's um if it's kind of a uh a window into the pathos of the filmmakers or a window into the pathos of the original author or both but it's kind of weird how two of the central characters in this movie are random piles of <laughs> of ran- uh, of unconnected garbage pulled together and animated against their will. Yeah, you're not wrong. Jack and the Gump are both just, you know, pulled into the waking world um uh basically against their will. They're just piles of sticks and trash held together with ropes falling apart. Um yep. And like you know, they're similar to I guess the Scarecrow, but like at least I don't remember the Scarecrow's backstory, but at least like the Tin Man was a man. Although I do not remember the backstory that Dorothy tells for him yep. in the original movie. Oh, no, it's not that in the was... original movie. OK, good. They left that like, out because they weren't maniacs. <laughs> well, when I read a thing that said, so the, what is this? I mean, like something like a witch. I forget the context, but like a witch cursed him and he kept chopping off his own pieces limbs. of his, his own limbs until he was all replaced with tin. Yes. And there was some note about how. They switched the wording of how they said, like, chop instead of something else because it sounded too, like, intense for kids. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Changing hack to chop doesn't really help here, guys. Right. Right. Uh, you kind of missed the point on that one. <laughs> they it's kind of so- like when you it's kind of like when you go to McDonald's and you order, you know, a double Big Mac and you get a Diet Coke. You're kind of you're kind of missing the point. Right. Right. Um, but they. uh and, and the, the, again, that scene where she's telling the, the, the you know, the true to novel um, origin of the Tin Man. I get it. They're trying to do the scene where, oh, this is she's explaining the world of Oz to people in the real world. Of course, it sounds crazy, right? Like, All right, fine. But she could have just said the story that we remember from the first movie, which is like, and there was a woodsman who was made all of tin, but he was rusted. So I had to find his oil can to make him talk again. And you're like, yeah. Cool, that's the story I remember, and not terribly disturbing. Uh, weird choices all well, around. So, this is coming to me now. There's some sort of theme here about, like, bodies and humanity, and because, to speed up a little more, they land on the Gnome King's mountain. The Gnome King is the person we're told earlier in the film, is uh, who he, he turned everyone in Oz to stone and stole all the emeralds. We get the idea that Mombi kind of reports to him. Yeah. Or he kind of just lets her be over in Oz and do her thing. Uh, and he's king of the gnomes, which is not G-N-O-M-E. It's just N-O-M-E. And they're like stone people. Yeah. Kind of. um, something like that. Anyway, they land on his mountain because that's where they told they're told the scarecrow is. And all the other people have been turned um, 
to ornaments. Yeah. And they need to find, they need to save the people. Okay. So they land on the mountain and the Gnome King is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like just legitimately awesome. And there's something about this idea. Cause like you said, you've got a robot, you know, not, we were told does everything but live. You have two pieces of garbage that have been animated against their will. You've got this witch lady who has n- numerous heads, mm-hmm. but none of them really belong to her. She sleeps without them for some reason. And then you've got the gnome king who's, it seems his goal is to become a human. Yes. Because, at, and as we'll get there, but the sequence that follows is they're trying to guess or like, you're trying to find the scarecrow in the pile of the collection of ornaments he has. And add, and their their failure is they get turned into ornaments themselves. And as each of the characters gets turned into an ornament, the Gnome King progresses from like fully claymation rock man. Right. To like a guy in a, you know, he comes more human. Which is. So there, there's something there. Yeah. Maybe. Or there was something there well, when someone thought about this movie originally. Yeah. And I don't understand why he would prefer to be human because when he's. In rock form, he's got, like, a whole bunch of cool-ass powers. Yeah, he seems legitimately fucking awesome in the rock form. Um, so really explained what he gains by becoming human. Um, and it all also seems like, oh, then maybe we should help him out, right? Like, if that's what he wants, is there, can we help him, like, maybe trick bad people into going into his weird room with its yeah. magic rules? But, um, yeah, there's all kinds of weird body stuff in this. <laughs> Which, again, the first one had themes about, like, courage and um, wisdom and kindness. And this one has themes of, like, hey, bad people are going to try to turn your body into something else. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's also parallel. Like, also, like, you know, the we get opening the film where she's about to get electroshock therapy performed on her, right? Right. Because she's broken. In which case, but that's her brain, right? And right. In which case, you would think that the theme would be something more along the lines of like, oh, it's important to cling on to your childhood imagination. And it's important that we let kids be creative. And, you know, that the, you know, you would think that the theme here would be that Oz is something beautiful and it's within all of us and you don't want to take it out of you by electroshock or just growing up. Right. Right. That feels like what we're setting up. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, so to pull back a little bit, they meet the Gnome King, and he's, like, pretty nice to him at first. Yeah, and kind of makes a rational point, like, those are my emeralds, man. Yeah, like, they were stolen from me, and I stole them back, and I got the Scarecrow. They see the Scarecrow for a brief moment. Uh, Do you want to talk about that Scarecrow model? I hate it. (laughs) It's so freaky looking. Yep. And I don't understand, because, like, I mean, they they changed the models for... The lion and the mm-hmm. Tin Man. Yep. And I think they're fine. Like, the Tin Man looks really cool. The lion, it looks like a lion instead of, like, a guy in a, a weird suit. Mm-hmm. And But the Scarecrow, he didn't have to really change. No. they. I did read that they were originally going to have his face fully animatronic, similar to the Gump, but that they ran out of money, so they just made, like, three heads that had different facial expressions. Which is worse. <laughs> and one, one that could kind of talk a little bit also all three of the main characters were supposed to have a much bigger role in the movie but got cut for budget and timing makes sense sure um so they basically get told that uh the the gnome king says i turned the scarecrow into an ornament because he had my emeralds and we're gonna play a game where you guys can you guys get three three attempts to try and find the scarecrow each but if you lose you get turned into an ornament 
I get to keep you. And clearly he is not telling them that something about them being turned into ornaments brings him his humanity. He actually does say he says it's because uh, we're learning about this person called Ozma, who is the daughter of the old King of Oz before the wizard showed up. And he basically, the more people who remember her, the less he can become human. Right. It's just like as each person who, goes away who remembers her he becomes more human yeah i didn't catch any of that it is way too late in this movie to be establishing these rules (laughs) yeah it's a weird scene and like and even do it themselves because like the whole time watching like why doesn't he just turn them all into ornaments yeah right now and later on Moby shows up for no real reason and she's like and she says like why didn't you just turn into ornaments now and he's like this is more fun so i kind of like that the gnome king's like kind of whimsical sure there's also the scene before you know they're going through and, and he shows her that he's wearing ruby slippers i remember as a kid thinking like because the, the effects around the gnome king are pretty cool and except for like when he's in his humanish form it's a little bit hokey yeah and i just thought the ruby slippers looked really goofy on and as a little kid i'm like you know six or seven and i'm like why is that man wearing those ruby high heel slippers like didn't really get it or have that context as a kid but just like it's kind of funny it was a weird thing and the way that they kind of slip out from under what looks a lot like a skirt yep it's uh, a lot of weird mixed imagery that um not to be transphobic but in a children's movie from the 80s to present these visual elements of like mild transvestitism without any kind of like additional context or explanation again also in this movie which is just full of weird imagery and you feel very lost is like what the fuck is going on what does any of this mean throwing that in there just complicates it yeah and he's like a little dainty about it yeah. like the way he like shows him off he's like mm, look at the nice shoes and it's like like i said as an adult in the 2020 you're like oh okay but like as a kid in 19 you've been like that's weird well yeah and and also even if you were making this movie in 2020 and wanted to include these elements you would maybe set them up or give a little bit more context to all of that rather than just being at some little detail you just throw in there like oh yeah the bad guy uh in our in our kids movie um also wears a long skirt and women's shoes don't worry about it what <laughs> I want to worry about it. That's kind of a weird choice. You need to explain this. Uh, One thing I thought I think is so funny about this movie that's just like part of like the stiltedness of it is that because the dialogue on this movie is weird most of the time, especially from Dorothy. Like she's not the best child actor in the world. Yeah, she Um, wasn't given a lot to work with either. No, no. To be fair, she's also 10, which is like really young for a child actor. Um, She she treats everyone with like so much deference and respect, even though she knows they're like the bad guy. She's just like talking to the Gnome King. She's like, oh, your grace. And not like a, am going to try and like butter up to you or like I'm being deceiving and trying to like, it just comes across just like, well, yeah, she's just like a little kid. It's just like, okay, whatever you say. Like, but it's just, it's just very like, it's not fitting for like the tone. Right. And, and not fitting with the door if you remember from the first movie. And a, and a 10 year old from Kansas talks this way. <laughs> right. Um but there's something about in the in the original movie where it yeah because even then the dialogue is very kind of stodgy the way that movies of that era were but because Judy Garland was a little older and the whole movie has a much more elevated theatrical tone that dialogue seems more in place but in this which does have a much 
I mean, we are talking about a movie with a flying couch, but a, a grittier kind of more <laughs> down to earth feel mm-hmm. for her not not to have, you know, for her to still be talking that way is, yeah, it, it seems incongruous. Yeah. So anyway, they, they, as you mentioned earlier, TikTok goes in and he basically pulls one over on the Gnome King and pretends his action economy ran out and... He kind of tells Dorothy a plan to like, oh, I'm going to pick the last one. I'm going to pick wrong and you need to see what I turn into. And maybe it'll give you a clue into what what the mechanics are here. I'm like, that's fucking smart, man. Like this guy knows what's up. And then she completely ignores the plan. Yep. Like <laughs> just like doesn't even go anywhere. Like, why do we even do that? I don't know. It was really strange. Um, So she does end up find she does end up finding the scarecrow. And then they realize that it's green things. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they get most of their friends back. The Gnome King regresses back to giant, scary, awesome claymations, you know, stop motion like monster and starts being like, I'm going to kill you all now. I'm going to eat you in a really terrifying scene. Of, yes. Like, growing like the fire and like the place is crumbling. It's actually really awesome. Also, his eyes are really creepy because he still has his human eyes. Yes. In the fucking claymation, and they give which you is not big old close-ups of those bloodshot, wet human eyes. <laughs> oh god, it's so foul. And yeah, there's a lot of scenes of that. So, and we didn't mention, but there's this sort of weird emphasis placed on the chicken throughout the movie. Yep. And I'm actually always just like, why? Oh, don't and then show it's that because chicken to the gnome king. Yeah, it's because. And Belina's been hanging out in Jack's head this whole time. He goes to eat Jack. Belina finally drops her egg. And we want to find out that eggs are poisonous to gnomes and it kills the gnome king. And like I said, the scene where he's holding him and his eye, his big, gross, wet eyes, like moving around and looking at like the egg falling. And it's just it's so like there's just something really strange about that. Yeah, scene. no, that this scene is intense. Um, and again, weird parallels to the first movie where, oh, the villain is killed by something you know, really out of left field, something really inconsequential to to us. Right. You know, with the Wicked Witch of the West, it was water. Yeah. And, you know, in this, it's an egg. Like, okay. But there's all these parallels like that. And then, you know, it's not the Tin Man, it's TikTok. It's not the Scarecrow, it's Jack Pumpkinhead. Right? Like, there are these weird parallels that almost feel like, oh, this is supposed to be in some ways a commentary on the first one, or it's echoing the first movie for a reason. It's like, nope, no, it's all, nope, that's just the way it is. It's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so anyway, the destruction of the Gnome King. Uh, oh, also, I forgot to mention when the things, the bad stuff's happening during the intense scene, all the claymation, like gargoyle gnomes that are like coming out of the walls mm-hmm. and stuff. Also, the stuff where the um, just like some of these visuals are like where that the door that's opening to his like ornament collection is those hands that like like kind of like open into themselves mm-hmm. and close themselves. Just really cool looking stuff. I just love the I love some of the visuals in this movie. I like want to make a and d like door that looks like that hmm. and freak somebody out. Uh, so, yeah, they you know, it, it I, for some reason, um, you know, all the people who were stone are no longer stone. And then the day is saved. I guess at some point they also uh, they go back to Oz. Some reason Mombi's captured now. Uh, kind of skipped over that part. And then we finally see Dorothy had seen in the mirror earlier what I thought was implying supposed to be like the you know Glenda the Good Witch 
but is not, is uh, this Ozma princess who is, lo and behold, the girl from that died earlier in the movie. Right. Who is and, trapped in mirrors using a magic that is never explained. It's also right. never explained how she gets out of the mirrors. Yeah. Dorothy pulls her out somehow. And she's now the new Queen of Oz. Right. You know, they asked Dorothy to be the queen in a weird ceremony where, you know, because the Scarecrow's King of Oz. Yeah. Also strange. Point. And they're like, be my, be his queen, be his queen. I'm like, mm. like once again, 10 year old girl, Scarecrow, indeterminate age. Yeah. Uh, she says, no, she has to go back to Kansas. Why? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, I have to go back to the tortured, blasted hellscape. <laughs> Where no one believes me and they're going to electrify my brain until I'm a simpleton. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't do a good job of like, I feel like in the first movie, you know, she gets homesick and she's thinking of the people she loved and like none of that in this. It's like, nah, he's got to go back. And it's like, why? And you get the, you know, when the Wicked Witch of the West, she's looking at her crystal ball and she sees, you know, you get that scene of Antem like, where are you, Dorothy? Where are you? And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I get it. I, I see why she wants to go home. Yeah. And nope, not here. I mean, granted, the current state of Oz is not a particularly like, I mean, at the end of the movie, I guess it's good. Everything's saved. But this big parade of all these wacky looking characters. I mean, the city's still in ruins, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and then she they wish her back to Oz. And in once again, we're right back to the brutality. She wakes up and she's like in the river, at, in the river. And in a nice little detail, I like that you see her uncle like he's searching for or they're like looking for her search party out for her. toto finds her first of course and then the uncle comes running but you see him he's like using his cane and he throws the cane aside and comes running and like you know in my mind it's like oh he broke through his yeah like you know he's not he's he you know he doesn't need to be relying on that broken leg anymore uh and then you see they say like oh the you know the the asylum caught fire from the lightning strike everyone was saved except for the doctor who went back in to try and save his machinery and then you also see the quote-unquote evil head nurse being taken away in a comical box jail in the back of a horse yeah it's off to be burned like a witch seems yeah like. that's what it looks like uh never mentioned that girl pretty sure yep. she didn't make it uh but and then you see you know they're back at the farm and the house is finished and things are things are good right. she sees how long was she gone for it's a good question uh, you also see she has a little last minute thing where she sees Ozma through the glass and, you know, Ozma kind of tells her, like, you can't keep talking about this. And, yeah. You know. Now she's fully manifested a separate, a second personality. Right. So uh, that was the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't good. It was it was kind of a bad movie. What's your uh, what's your rating, Greg, on your scale? Um, I would give this one star. On a scale of zero to three stars. Um, it's an interesting watch because it is bad in interesting ways that we've discussed. But um, it is a chore to get through. And um, other than the kind of like interesting for the weird ways in which it's bad, it doesn't really have much to offer. Gotcha. I have a slightly higher view of this yeah, movie. It's, it's your not favorite a favorite movie, movie from your childhood. It's favorite movie. No, it's not my favorite it's movie. It's your favorite but- movie. <laughs> Didn't you and Shay walk I, down the aisle to the main theme of this? Yeah, totally. Running? Which, by the way, I like the music in this movie, too. There's a lot I like about this movie in that there's a lot of really cool visuals. Like, there, like there's some cheap things aside, but, like, when they decided to put money into some of the effects and focus on them and some of the characters and stuff, I really like them. The visual design is very good, but the um, the actual execution of some of the props and effects is not as good. Correct. Um, 
like you said, the the bleakness is just like really interesting. Um, I think that there's two movies shoved into one here, and I think either could have been a good movie in a weird way, mm-hmm. and they just split the difference. Yeah, I think that I think this movie loses a lot by trying to be more accurate to the books, which is like. Who, was there a constituency out there for that? <laughs> like diehard Oz heads were like, this series deserves a faithful adaptation. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was reading a little bit as doing a little background, just like because I, I just got went down a rabbit hole of like, what is Oz? I, I remember listening to I think it was the Legendarium podcast that did an episode about Bomb and, and some mm-hmm. of the stuff about Oz, which is pretty good. But there's like 50 books. I mean, he wrote like 10 or 20 and then like he gave the rights to someone when he died and then they can you make books like up until like the 90s wow or even more recently than that so i maybe i'd never heard of them as a kid i mean i kind of want to check them out to see what the hell they're like because now i have two very disparate ideas of what the world of oz is like and i kind of want to know like what was the original intent yeah in this in this place i just um it just seems like the choice not to just replace the the characters in this with the classic characters you know mm-hmm. and 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 they have to rescue the lion right you just replace tiktok with the tin man you replace jack with the scarecrow and they're rescuing the lion from the gnome king why not just do that right it just seems like so much easier and we can keep the characters we like and we you know um yeah it just seems like such a strange choice and again, like either go all the way and like, oh, no, this is the dark version of Oz. This is the grim, gritty reboot where it was all in Dorothy's head. And, um, you know, this is really an examination of sanity and the mental health system. Like make that movie or give me a fun filled trip back to the the world of Oz that I love. But if you're going to take me back to the world of Oz that I love, make it that world of Oz, not the crappy <laughs> rundown. Everything's broken version. So I have a question for you. Uh-huh. Greg. What age do you get? What age do you uh, make this? Uh, put it in the rotation for Charlotte. Um, I'm going to say when she's in her thirties <laughs> and you want to have a, a good time watching a bad movie. Yeah, when together. She's in her thirties and I'm in my seventies. <laughs> Greg, did you watch this movie by yourself? Did you watch it? With I Karen? watched it by myself. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I would have been curious for her opinion on it. Yeah, Karen had um, Karen had some other assignments to, uh, to work on this this week, so she was unable gotcha. to, to gotcha. indulge. Well, maybe sometime we'll all get together and watch it. I don't think I need to see this one again. <laughs> uh, probably. Not. I mean, this does make me curious to revisit some of the other movies that are kind of in this batch. You like know, I would like to watch Dark actually, Crystal again, Labyrinth, Never Ending Story, um, a lot of these um, Trump traumatic kids movies. Well, it's funny you say that, Greg, because I was actually going to recommend that as like a, a mini project moving forward that we every f- so often we watch one of these like we're going to let's just let's just broadly call them dark 80s, dark children fantasy <laughs> movies. Trauma flicks. Yeah, trauma flicks from our childhood. Um, you know, you said like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Never New Story and Willow and like there was a vein of these that I yeah. think would be fun to explore. What do you say? I'm I'm on board. I would love to see Willow again. I don't even know if I've if I've ever actually saw all of Willow, but I've never seen any of Willow. Huh. Actually, out of all those movies you've mentioned, I've only ever seen Never New Story. Uh-huh. And most of Labyrinth. I've seen Labyrinth weird. many times. I'm sure you have. It. it was a, there was when I was in, you know, when I was in college uh, back in the 70s, we um, 
it, it, it kind of it was there was like a little cultural moment where everyone remembered the labyrinth was a thing. So like labyrinth would be on at many parties <laughs> during my college uh-huh. years. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it was definitely that's funny because I would have been in high school when you were in college, and there was a moment of that in the same time. Must have been a something that came yeah, out. Yeah, there, there are these moments where the culture collectively remembers something. Like I remember where I was when all of a sudden the culture remembered Baby Got Back. It was my junior <laughs> year of high school. For like one day, all of a sudden, everyone we all came together and were like, "Oh right, there was that song about butts," and it is now all of our number one life. Gold will just live in that song forever. Um, Greg, I hope that we spark a zeitgeist moment for Return to Oz. Oh, I, I don't want to do that to people. <laughs> I do. It's my favorite it movie. It is your favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, this was a fun journey. Yes, it was. We learned some things about ourselves and about how to not make a terrifying kids movie. Yeah. Or how to make a terrifying kids movie. Yeah. It's all body horror. How- also, how to make a bad movie, but we already knew that. <laughs> um, give I have, a, I have a weird question. All right, given the constraints, if you could like you know not to say like make a new movie, but like what would be some minor things you would tweak to make this a better? Um, without you know changing it too without much. going with my original idea, which is just like oh no, it's all real world and it's just the traumatic aftermath of this near death experience this girl had during a tornado. Right. And right. how the, the psychiatric treatment cripples her family um, financially. Um, I feel like you have to you have to really bring in the original characters to a much greater degree. Um, and I think you also need to have the Dorothy that comes back to the maybe more ruined Oz be older. Because repairing Oz is a metaphor for her reclaiming her childhood. Oh, shit. I just remade Hook. <laughs> but instead it's yeah so that's what i would do i would make the movie hook but just put a wizard of oz skin on it ah okay i'm not sure i've ever seen that you've movie. never seen hook or maybe not the whole it's thing. not as good as i remember that's what i've heard the first 20 minutes are excellent basically the entire movie leading up to him going back to neverland are incredible um and then it eh, it's not as good <laughs> Uh, speaking of other movies related to this, I wanted to briefly touch upon. Did you ever watch that Oz Great and Powerful? No. This is the same Sam Raimi oh, movie that came right. out. Like, the prequel. The, yeah, like 2013, 2014, somewhere in that time period. I watched it on a plane to wherever Sounds I was going at the time. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> about that movie would get. I was kind of like, okay, this looks like it had some interesting visuals. Like, I like, you know, I liked Return to Oz. I liked, you know, Wizard of Oz. Uh, maybe this is for me. And that's a movie similar to what you just described. Like the first like 30 to 40 minutes of the movie are actually like pretty cool and interesting. Like they do some, some, some cool stuff. There's some fun twists, but the the second half of that movie is just pure garbage. And I, in my head, for some reason, Tim Burton made it, but that's not the case. It was, yeah. so it's James Franco as the wizard. Yeah. Mila Kunis as his love interest who becomes the wicked witch. Correct. Great. And that that storyline is actually like kind of interesting because like she starts off as like a they just kind of flip the narrative on its head a little bit. Not in like a what was that mu- was that musical called? Wicked. Yes. Thank you. Not like that, but like, go yeah, OK. And then like it just goes like so off the wall, like the third act is just a complete fucking mess. Uh, so don't watch that movie. It's not it's not worth it. I'm a little concerned not to go down another tangent to a tangent. But did you see that Sam Raimi is 
sound sound like he's going to be directing the second Doctor Strange movie. Um, I I I, I heard that. Um, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I, let's let him have another crack at some superhero stuff. Maybe he's learned his lesson. <laughs> but also, I feel like so far, any of the movies, the these big marquee movies that lose a director and get a, a new director midway through, um. They haven't been great. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ant-Man turned out OK, I feel like it's not great. Yeah, But I but... feel like Ant-Man hadn't like they were still very early in production when they switched directors. Like I thought they'd done. I thought they'd already shot a lot of the new Doctor Strange by the time they lost their director. I don't think so. I don't think they'd be oh, OK. Even. I think it's I think it's earlier than you're as long as it's I mean, not a solo shooting, or Justice League situation. No, no, it's not anywhere near that okay. that late. Yeah, I mean, that could work, especially if they I mean, I would it seems like based on the title of the new Doctor Strange that they are leaning a little bit into maybe a little bit more cosmic horror stuff. And Raimi has some genuine like kooky horror chops, right? Evil Dead is where he started. So I would be interested to see him go back there a little bit. Um, So, yeah, whatever. Give it a shot. Yeah, they haven't started filming. Okay. Okay. Um, So I think that. Yeah, that was my first thought. I was like, well, he made like two pretty good superhero movies and he's made some pretty good horror movies. Horror action. So, yeah, well, yeah, the, the yeah, action horror. It's, it's tough you know, to describe weird. those yeah. uh, Evil Dead. But. And I hear that the the Evil Dead show that he was producing was pretty good. Yeah. But most of the movies he's made in recent times have been not So good. you had Oz. What else has he done? <sighs> well, he, when we know Spider-Man 3, mm. which isn't. You know, on the good list. Far from the good list. Uh, (laughs) uh, At some point, I want to revisit that movie and be like, is this as bad as I remember? I think the answer is yes. But um, what else did he make recently? Really? That's that's it. He did. um, I'm I'm after. um, Oh, he made that. um, He did a horror movie. Drag me to hell after Spider-Man 3, which apparently is a bit of a cult classic. And then um, your second favorite movie, Oz the Great and Powerful. um, (laughs) Great, nice. Uh, that was 2013. He hasn't directed since. Huh. Uh, not right. a film, anyway. Right. Um, so maybe it's his. Maybe it's his comeback time. It could be. I will now that I'm looking at the list. Um, he's not bad because he got Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, Army of Darkness. We all know those. Great. All all great stuff. Um, also, a, a pretty um, a pretty bonkers movie that I have a soft spot for and. Uh, plug for my other podcast, nineteen ninety five. The podcast, The Quick and the Dead. Uh, he directed. Um, all- did you guys review that one? What's that? Did you guys review we that? Did? One? That was like our second or third episode. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, A Simple Plan, which was a good one, kind of a Coen Brothers style, like um, you know, like heist gone wrong movie. Pretty good. Billy Bob Thornton. Um, yeah, he wrote the Hudsucker Proxy, which was a good movie. Um, and oh, Dark Man in nineteen ninety. Have you seen Dark Man? I had not seen it. I I've heard a lot about it. I dated a girl who was very into Dark what? Man. What? Um, <laughs> the idea of someone being very into Dark Man is very good. Very good. Yeah, like not like into it, but just like was like this is awesome, kind of in a bad way. Like lots of fun to watch or whatever. So. Oh yeah, Dark Man's insane. Holy shit! Holy shit, Greg. What? I did not know this. That at some point. In the process, Sam Raimi was attached to direct a King Killer Chronicle movie. Yikes. <laughs> oh, man. Yikes. That would be. I don't like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, if anything, him 
getting attached to Doctor Strange too will remove that possibility from happening anytime in the near future. Look, man, it's minimum. very easy not to go see a King Killer movie. Yeah, but I'm going to have you, to because we're going to have to talk I, about it. I don't feel the need to. Well, you're not going to have a choice, Greg. Uh, you know how this works. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Return to Oz, favorite movie. Go watch it if you haven't watched it. Uh, we'll be back at some point with more Dark Children's Fantasy. Great. <laughs> All right, buddy. See you soon. All right. See you.